The beginning of Ecclesiastes says, absolute futility. Everything is meaningless. What does a person gain for all his efforts? A generation goes and a generation comes. Talk about a downer. Like, what's the point of anything? Is there any point to even trying? It's all meaningless. No matter what you do, it doesn't matter. Do you get it? Time. There's a time for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. Talk about opposite sides of a coin. A time to plant and a time to uproot. The ground needs tending either way. A time to kill and a time to heal. The paradox of quick and slow. A time to tear down and a time to build. Both sound like hard work. A time to weep and a time to laugh. Just give me the laughing. A time to mourn and a time to dance. It might not look good, but just let me dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. Sometimes it just feels good to throw something. A time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing. I don't know what I want. A time to search and a time to count as lost. Giving up might be easier. A time to keep and a time to throw away, like cleaning out your garage. A time to tear and a time to sew. Ripping things is easier than putting it back together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. Silence is a gift. A time to love and a time to hate. The power of our emotions. A time for war and a time for peace. Peace is elusive and war is too easy. So if everything really is futile and meaningless, what will you choose? What will you choose? What will I choose? Because at the end of the day, we all have to decide whether we're going to look at life from a pessimistic viewpoint or everything is hopeless or meaningless, or we'll make the choice to say, I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to hold on to him with everything that I have. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Roy Conover, and I am the care pastor here at LifePoint Church, and we are so glad that you have joined us. If this happens to be your first Sunday here in the room, or if you're joining us online, we're actually finishing up our wisdom series, where we have been looking at for the last five weeks, the books of Proverbs and uh, uh, Job, and today we're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes. Now, be honest, as Henry was sharing that portion of scripture from Ecclesiastes 3, very famous, you've probably heard it, right? A time to kill, a time to die, right? All of those things. How many of you were humming the tune, to everything turn, 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 there is a season, turn, 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 and a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die. All right, I'll stop. <laughs> I realize for those of you under 25, you have no idea what that song is. 
That was for everyone above you in terms of age. If you are curious, it's the birds, 1965, made that section of scripture very popular uh, with their tune. Now, uh, as we're turning our attention now to the book of Ecclesiastes in this series, I wanted to catch any of you up that happen to be joining us for the first time. So as we've been in this wisdom series, we've been looking at this theme verse in Proverbs chapter uh, 3, and this has helped kind of shape and guide everything we've been talking about for the last five weeks. So let's look at this passage here in Proverbs 3. It says, Happy is a man who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding, for she, speaking of wisdom, is more profitable than silver, and her revenue is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can equal her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand, riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant and all her paths peaceful. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her and those who hold on to her are happy. I mean, who doesn't want this, right? This is wisdom. More precious than jewels, gold and silver brings you peace. This is what we've been after in this series as we're talking about wisdom and how to pursue this. But we also have this main point that we've been driving at each week, and it's this. It's okay to be born a fool. It's just not okay to live like one, right? I mean, we're all born. We have to acquire wisdom and knowledge as we go through life and accumulate experiences. So after a period of time when we continue to make the same mistakes, that's when we become foolish, Right Now, as we've been working our way through this series, we've had this series, Hope. This is what we're hoping that you've been getting out of it. Living wisely will help you navigate the way to a better life. And we know that in life, there are no guarantees. There are going to be hardships, things that all of us experience. But when we live God's way, we do it according to his word, then we are going to live, in general, a much better life. Wisdom says this. Wisdom says the difference between the wise person and the fool is not that one avoids mistakes, it's that one avoids correction. So as we've been working our way through this series, wanting to make sure we highlight this point, right? Everyone's going to make mistakes. That's not the issue. It's when we avoid correction because then we don't learn from our mistakes, and that's when we become foolish. Now, let's turn our attention to Ecclesiastes this morning, and as we do, uh, want to start with the, just a few details. Authorship, most people would ascribe authorship to King Solomon, although there are some who would challenge that uh, based on uh, time frame. So if you ascribe authorship to King Solomon, it would have been written 977 to 931 BC, somewhere in his reign during that time. But there are some scholars who believe that it was written 500 years after King Solomon because they would link it to uh, Persian and Aramaic language. But there's really strong evidence that actually puts it in Solomon's time frame because it displays knowledge of literature of early Mesopotamia and Egypt. 
So you can go ahead and figure out where you land on it. For our purposes, I'm just going to assume it's King Solomon. And then Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature. So that means it's intended to help readers cope with the practical and philosophical issues of life. Now, books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are the biblical answer to the search for truth. So where uh, Proverbs is going to deal about basic wisdom and give us fundamental, fundamental principles to live by, Ecclesiastes is for the more mature reader and is going to engage in the question of whether death actually nullifies the meaning and purpose of life. Now, it doesn't take long for King Solomon to make his main point. First chapter, first couple of verses, right out of the gate, he makes his point known. It says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, absolute futility, says the teacher, absolute futility. Everything is futile. What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? So in case you missed it, right out of the gate, it's all futile, right? It's all meaningless. Now you can also use, instead of futile, the word meaningless or vanity. And <clears throat> to show how this concept connects to us today, I wanted to address you parents and grandparents in the room. How many of you, and you don't have to answer this out loud, but you spend a certain amount of time trying to get your kids to pick up their room and clean their room, right? I have no doubt. Or you may just end up picking up their room out of sheer frustration because you can't get them to do it. But I'm wondering how much time you've actually allocated to make this happen. And then I'm wondering how many of you drivers in the room, or maybe those of you who are online, just to shift gears a little bit, eh? Uh, I know, that was bad. <clears throat> Actually obey the rules of the road. I'm not going to cover all of them, way too many, but just a few. You know, like when you come up to a stop sign, you should stop, right? As opposed to the rolling motion that most people engage in because it takes way too long to come to a complete and actual stop. Or, you know, they've invented these blinkers on your car and when you hit the button, it'll tell the driver behind you which way you're turning, right or left. And then, of course, my favorite is the yellow light, which means to slow down instead of speed up. And so if we have any question at all about the meaninglessness of life, Try to get your kids to clean up their room and see how long it stays clean or for people to obey the rules of the road. So Solomon was right, right? Everything is meaningless. It is pointless. Now, as we dig into the book of Ecclesiastes, there is an important word that we need to understand. And it's this key word called chavel. And you do have to do that to pronounce it correctly. Chavel. Right? It's a Hebrew word, and unfortunately, the translation into English that we have in our Bibles doesn't actually translate well. It uses the word futile, meaningless, vanity. That's uh, how we've translated the word. And Solomon uses this word, chavel, 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's an important word. So a better definition for the word chavel would actually be smoke or vapor. Smoke or vapor is a better translation. So what does Solomon mean when he says all of the world is chavel? All of life is chavel. 
Well, one of the best explanations that I came across as I was studying uh, on this word is how it's actually described by a 20th century French existentialist author. You say that fast. His name was Camus, and he used the word absurd to liken it to Chavel. So according to Camus, the world is in and of itself a not a reasonable, but what is absurd is the confrontation of this irrational world and the longing for clarity that we all have, whose call echoes in the human heart. I just think he did such a beautiful job writing that. For, the, for Solomon, though, Chavel is a way of speaking about the strangeness of the world and how it refuses to line up with our searching for order, structure, and meaning. We see it all the time, don't we? Someone who is a vegetarian or a vegan, they eat really clean and healthy all their life. They go to the gym regularly and they end up dying young. And then somebody who smokes like a chimney and drinks to excess lives to a ripe old age. That is chavel. It doesn't make sense. And so uh, as we talk about th- this idea of chavel, a couple more of examples. Um, why the prettiest and nicest girls always seem to end up dating the biggest jerks. Or, uh, you know, we want to acquire all of these time-saving gadgets and they end up costing us more time. Or uh, the person voted most likely to, su- to succeed ends up coming in last. It's all chavel. It doesn't make sense to us. So Solomon is saying that this is chavel or is absurd. Not that life itself is meaningless or doesn't have value. It just refuses to line up with our rational expectations of cause and effect. I do this. This is my result. So here's the thing. God made this world so that we could actually enjoy it. And Solomon does talk about this in Ecclesiastes amid the doom and gloom that seems to shroud most of these book, chapters in the book. But we're meant to enjoy life because we receive it from God's hand. But unfortunately, we all buy into this lie and this concept that somehow we can control our lives or that it should make sense. So recognizing the absurdity or the chavel of things is a path to great wisdom. So how do we get this wisdom? What is wisdom? As we've been looking at in this series, I'll go back to Proverbs, very beginning, chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? It doesn't mean to sit back in a corner, huddled up, cowering, because we're waiting for God to somehow strike us down. That's not the fear we're talking about. I think there are four pieces to this. We're talking about awe. Being in awe of God, creator of the heavens and the earth. When you look at all of creation, you look at the planets and the stars, he created all of that. We can be in awe of him. Then there's also reverence, you know, the holy moments, like when Moses was in front of the burning bush and he took his sandals off, that reverence that we can have of God because of who he is, or just his love. We love because he first loved us. And how did he demonstrate his love? He sent his only son, Jesus, to die for us. We can fear God knowing he loves us so much. It changes our understanding of what 
fearing God means. And then lastly, it's trust. Do I trust him to be the CEO of my life? Do I trust him to love me? Do I trust him to lead me, to protect me, to guide me, to be my God in all aspects of my life? This is what fearing the Lord is. And this is our starting point to gaining wisdom. But remembering that life is chavel, it's absurd, it is a vapor, and as long as we keep trying to grab it and somehow hold on to it, we are missing the point because it's elusive and it's beyond our control and it's not going to bend to our will. So as you continue reading in Ecclesiastes, I wanted to summarize some of these chapters for you because it paints a pretty bleak picture of how we approach life from this meaningless standpoint. So chapter one, do a quick dive here. Is life worth living? I think this is the question that we're looking at here in chapter one. Is life worth living? And so in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 14, Solomon says this, I have seen all the things that are done under the sun and have found everything to be futile, a pursuit of the wind, right? And that Visual of wind similar to smoke and, and, and vapor, right? You're not going to be able to grab a hold of it. So what's the point? That's what he's asking in chapter 2. You can tell he's really disgusted with life here as he's digging into this chapter. Look what he says in verses 18 and 19. I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun because I must leave it to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, right? Yet he will take over all my work that I have labored at skillfully under the sun. This too is futile. Do you see the absurdity, the havel that he's trying to grab a hold of? He can't even control who's going to come after him. Of course not. You're going to be dead. You can't control that. And that's the futility, right? That's the meaninglessness of it. And then chapter four, my favorite, life isn't fair. (laughs) How many of us have uttered these words in verse one? Look at what he says of chapter 4. Again, I observed all the acts of oppression being done under the sun. Look at the tears of those who are oppressed. They They have no one to comfort them. Power is with those who oppress them. They have no one to comfort them. I mean, it paints a pretty bleak picture. And yes, it is unfair. We've seen this power struggle throughout all of time. And so it's not fair. And then chapter six, uh, is life a dead end street? And these are all my titles, by the way. I don't think you're going to see these uh, <laughs> in your Bible. But is, is life a dead end street? And in, in verse two of chapter six, Solomon says, God gives a person riches, wealth, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all he desires for himself. But God does not allow him to enjoy them. Right? God's just a cosmic killjoy. Instead, a stranger will enjoy them. This is futile and a sickening tragedy. Right? So again, he's focusing on, I've amassed all of this wealth. I have all of this, but I'm not going to be able to enjoy it. And then who knows what the person after me is going to do with it. And then lastly, we get to chapter 9. And I think this is about meeting your last enemy. This would be death, of course. And look what he says in verse 3. Of chapter 9. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. There is one fate for everyone, right? As far as I know, the death rate is still hovering around 100%, right? 
So in addition, the hearts of people are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. After that, they go to the dead. So I mean, this is depressing, right? All of it is so depressing. And as I was thinking though, through these chapters and the randomness, how life feels out of control, how hard I try to grab a control of what I cannot control. I was thinking back over my life and trying to remember a particular moment. It wasn't hard. I actually had a list of eight things that I came up with that were difficult, that could have been even worse, both as a social worker, as a pastor, and moments that I've encountered. But I came across one memory that I thought was applicable to what we're talking about. And back in 2004, I had left the state of Nevada. God had called me into ministry, became a pastor here in 2003. And so we were working to get a biblical counseling ministry going. We started uh, doing our STEP program. It stands for Striving to Experience Peace. And it's helping people work through their hurts, habits, and hangups. And so I was busy working on all this stuff. I was counseling people. And I was counseling this one guy and doing a little bit of work with him and his wife. And, you know, it felt like we were kind of finally starting to get a little bit of traction. And one day I'm driving back to the church and I get a call. It's from NHP. Never a good thing when you're actually driving in the car and you get a call from NHP, right? And they say, is this Roy? Yes. Um, we have one of your clients down here held up in a grocery store down in Gardnerville with a hostage. Can you get here immediately? He's asking for you. I'm like, yeah, just don't stop me. I'll get there as fast as I can. And, you know, I make my way down there as quick as I could, and I show up to the scene. There, I'm sure I'm exaggerating, maybe 50 cars. I mean, sirens, lights everywhere. It, it, was like nothing I had ever seen or experienced before. And I get out of my car, I'm making my way, find the first officer that I could identify myself. And he says, oh, Mr. Conover, I'm so sorry. You're too late. He's already committed suicide by cop. Fortunately, the hostage was okay. And I kind of had the same reaction that you're having now. It was devastating, it was overwhelming, I had no words. There was that lump. It was so random. It didn't make sense. I couldn't control it. I tried to drive there and get there as fast as I can. I was hoping to use my words to talk him off the ledge. But in the end, it was Chavel. Now, that doesn't mean that life isn't important. It doesn't mean that God doesn't still work in really tragic and difficult circumstances. But this is what we're talking about when we use that word and as we look at Ecclesiastes. And fortunately, in chapters 11 and 12, we turn a bit of a corner. There's a little bit of hope that we get to here in chapters 11 and 12. And this is where Solomon leads us to a final conclusion. And we see it in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. He says this, When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commands because this is for all humanity. So here we get again back to this idea of what does it mean to fear God? As we talked about, it's to be in awe of him, to revere him and his holiness. 
to love him as he loved us, sacrificed everything for us. And I think the hardest piece sometimes is that trust piece in our fearing God. So how you view God and you relate to him is going to impact how you live your life. When you encounter the really difficult moments in your life, those challenges that seem insurmountable, you just don't know what you're going to do. When life isn't fair, it feels like a dead-end street, what are you going to do? At a certain point, part of fearing the Lord is humbling ourselves. It's trusting him to lead us and guide us, even when it doesn't make sense. So when we surrender control to God, it frees us to simply be who he created us to be without begrudging, without regrets, without fearing. All those things that are chavel and out of our control, that vapor that we cannot grab a hold of. And this is the key to us finding serenity and peace with God. It's putting our trust in him. It's fearing him and doing what he's told us to do in his word, even when that doesn't make sense. So when I think about this concept of chavel, and I think about trusting God with those moments and having that serenity, I often turn to this prayer. We've prayed this for 20 years as a part of our STEP program. It's been part of Alcoholics Anonymous for the last 50 years. It was created by theologian Reinhold Niebuhr. And it says this, if you're in that place today, where life feels out of control and you're trying to grab this vapor and make sense of it, maybe try praying this prayer. The serenity prayer says this, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will. So that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. This is the essence of serenity. It's trusting and fearing God. And a week from now, we're going to be kicking off a new session of our STEP program, where I believe we offer people hope, help, and healing. That's what it's all about. Who are in the midst of dealing with circumstances in their life that feel like they are chavel. So I don't know if any of these will apply to you, but maybe they will. So we've got a number of different classes designed to help you, whatever you might be going through. One is called Changes That Heal. Are you stuck in a relationship that you want to get unstuck from, and maybe it's because you're struggling to say no, and you don't have good boundaries, and you just need help sorting through that? Changes That Heal can help you do that. Or maybe you're walking through a divorce. Maybe you've already gone through a divorce, but you're still hurting from it. Then divorce Recovery could be for you. Get some help. You don't have to do this alone and keep trying to control what you can't control. And then there's grief recovery. And this is more than just if you've lost a loved one and someone in your life has died. This involves other losses, job losses, other things that feel big 
and you're walking through loss, then come to grief recovery. Or maybe it's a parenting class. We've got different uh, classes at different times. This one is designed to help. It's called Boundaries with Kids, but help you parents, grandparents, be able to help your kids. And then there's men's ongoing, that's for ongoing drug and addiction issues, any other kind of addictions, we just want to provide a place of support for you. And then coping skills for teens, you parents and grandparents know some of the stresses and struggles that are going on for our teens right now. We want to provide a place to give them some help. And then lastly, we've got a mental health support group, anxiety, depression, just to name a couple. But anything you're needing support for, we want to provide a place to help you not do this alone. So I've got a couple of different next steps for you before you walk out of here today. And our next steps are designed because a wise person has a better life because they do, I think, a couple of things. As we wrap up this series, can't give you too many steps, but here I think are the two most important. The first one is we need to realize our need for God. If you're not a Christ follower, I think at some point you have to come to that decision to say, who is God? And reconciling, is this Bible really true? Is what the Bible speaks about Jesus really true? If you've already made that decision and you call Jesus your Lord and Savior, in every moment are you realizing your need for him when you're encountering those moments of chavel? Do you come to him and trust him? Fear him, follow his ways, even when that doesn't make sense to you. That's, we all have to reconcile that and realize our need for God. And that'll enable you to do the second step, which is then take steps to draw closer to him. That's why we have all of these classes. We want to help you draw closer to God and realize you don't have to do this alone. God never intended us to do it alone. There's over 30 one another passages in the Bible. Love one another, forgive one another, care for one another. God wants us to be in relationship and in connection. So take steps to draw near to God. And it doesn't have to be at our step program on Tuesday night. We've got tons of small groups, as uh, Charlie talked about in our welcome. Right? Lots of places for us to be connected with other people. You just have to make the choice to take that step. And that's my prayer for all of us as we seek God in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this time that we've had. And as we've been looking at wisdom in this series for the last five weeks, and as we conclude with Solomon's words, God, I know it all starts with us fearing you. It's trusting you and loving you and just being in awe of who you are. But God, you know what gets in the way for us. You know our tendency toward Havel, how we try to grab that control, and how much of a struggle it is for us to surrender completely to you. Would you help us, God, today to surrender, to trust you so that we can grab a hold of the serenity and the peace that you've designed us to experience that we can only have in relationship with you. Help us, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.